Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. to be here in this place this morning worshiping God together. Isn't it good to come into the house of God? Yeah, come on, let's just give a a clap offering to the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's something that happens when believers come together that the life of God within one another it, when we come as, as believers into the same house with the same purpose to worship God, there is an excitement. There's a stirring that takes place. And I, and I feel that this morning. And I just, I just want to challenge us to begin to, to, as we hear the word of God, to receive out of that place of the stirring of the Holy Spirit in our midst of what he wants to do. You know, your, your leaders here in the church are men of faith because they asked uh, me to come in to speak about the feast and the feast are such a, a huge topic and really we could take a week just to go through them and uh and and but we're going to pray by the grace of the lord today that we can get an overview and uh, more than really diving deep into the feast that god would put a hook in our heart and begin to reel us in that a hunger would grow so that we could encounter the lord in a greater way as we study him and the and seeing how jesus is right there at the center of the feast the feast point to who Jesus is as the Messiah. Um, as uh, James was saying, uh, we come from a Jewish family, a Jewish background, and, and the, you know, the feasts are a part of the fabric of our life. It's a part of the rhythm of our life, but they are not just for the Jewish people. You see, when you read in the scriptures about the feast, it says that these are actually perpetual and continual, that you're to observe them when speaking to Israel, that they, they go on and on from generation to generation. It's how God wanted to reveal his character. It's how he wanted to reveal his nature. It's how he wanted to reveal his ways to the nation of Israel. But it wasn't just for Israel. It was that he called the weakest of the nations. He called the weakest of the families of the earth and he said, I want to display my glory and I want to reveal who I am. And often that's the way of God is that he chooses the foolish things. He chooses the weakest things to show his glory. And this whole subject of Israel and the Jewish people is surrounded by controversy. It's surrounded by difficulty. It's surrounded by challenge. And we really need revelation from the word of God and him breathing upon our hearts, opening up the eyes of our understanding because there's so much that's being said. There's so much that's being proclaimed in the media and in the opinions of men and women around the world, but we want to base our understanding of what does God say and what is he breathing life upon for us. And so God chose Israel because they were the weakest so that he could show his glory through. Jerusalem, for example, it is the most impossible situation. The best minds in the world, the, gr- the greatest uh, peace negotiators and, 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 uh, and men who have been able to come together and see resolution can't do anything with Jerusalem. 
It's an impossible situation. And God has set it up like that. Because at the end of the age, he wants to get all the glory. So he allows difficult things to come. And it's a challenge to us. It can be a stumbling block to us to try and understand. But if we could come with childlike faith and say, we trust you, God. We trust your word. And that as we go deeper into your heart and the understanding of your word, that we are going to see how you display your glory in the whole earth. So the feasts were given to Israel as a priest nation to be a light to every other nation. Now, Israel, my people, the Jewish people, we by and large failed at that. We had, we had missed the point time and time again. Our hearts were hard. Our necks were stiff. That's how it was. we're described in the scriptures. And yet... God is faithful. God is faithful to his covenant and he's faithful to his word. If we know, when we look at God's dealing with Israel, that he will be faithful to his people, to the people of his promise, faithful to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can know and have assurance in our hearts that he will be faithful to you and to me. This is something that produces hope in our hearts. So in the midst of the challenge, there's a message of hope that shines through. As we look and we see the work of God and His His design. You know, God isn't schizophrenic. God isn't uh, doesn't waver in his plan. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we open up the Bible and it's so beautiful that you're reading through the whole of scriptures uh, to be able to get an idea of the story of God from beginning to end. It's how I love to approach it. But often we see it and we take out the, the portions that we like to deal with that we can understand or, or speak to us in a certain season of life. But there has been a plan from the beginning. And even when sin entered the world, God had a plan in mind and he saw the end from the beginning we, we see it in the vast uh, scope of this story that we find ourselves in but we also see it in the story of our individual lives and so even though I fail even though I fall God is going to be glorified through my life as my heart is oriented towards him so uh, let's, let's open our hearts in faith today as we look a little bit into this issue of the feast of Israel To start out, it's really to look at, first of all, maybe to even approach, well, what is the significance of calendar? What is the significance of time, feast, festivals? Why are they important to God? Why were they important to the people of Israel? What what do they speak to us today? And to do that, we need to go back to the very beginning. The very first thing that God did when he created the heavens and the earth was that he created time. The uncreated God in all his glory decided that he was going to create the heavens and the earth and that through fellowship with man and friendship with man that there would be greater glory that would be released to God. And so he had to create a medium where the uncreated God could encounter creation, could encounter man. And so that's what time is. You know, we approach time, in, in spe- particularly in the West, in many different ways. You know, and uh, we're under this burden. We see time as, as a burdensome thing. But we need to see it as a blessing from God because it's the way that we are able to encounter the uncreated God. 
There, there, before God created time, there wasn't any opportunity for us to meet together. But heaven meets earth, as we were just saying. Heaven meets the, the, the eternal, meets the temporal in time. So the first thing on the first day of creation is God spoke and he separated light from darkness. And he called the darkness night and he called the light day. And it says that that was the first Day, And that was the first thing in all of creation. He created a place where the created could meet the uncreated. And I am so thankful. And so when we see from that portion, we say time is a gift. Time is a blessing from the Lord. Often we look at time as a burden. There's the clock that's hanging over our head, our, our calendar, our Blackberry, our iPhone, or our schedule, or whatever you use to organize your life. You're thinking about, you're not just thinking about a week in advance, you're thinking about the minutes of the day. You're thinking, thinking about the next appointment that you have to run to. And we live under this burden, but no, if we could step out from underneath that pressure, we see that time is a gift. Time is a blessing from God. And he set up highlights into the rhythm of our life that we would continue to come to the place of encounter. Now, it's not that these special days in the the calendar were were things that um, are the only time we're to encounter God. But they set the tone for our life because of our human nature. We have an encounter with God. We experience something with it, but it dissipates. It comes away. And so God set up appointments. He gave a calendar to Israel throughout the year so that they would come and they would know him afresh and they'd know him in a new way. He gave the Sabbath, which is in the Ten Commandments, as a a gift on a weekly basis in the rhythm of our life that we could encounter the Lord. And then on an annual basis, he gave the feast, the biblical feast, to come and encounter him. It's amazing. The more that I study about the feast, the more I love Jesus. The more I study about the feast, I say, wow, so amazing. From the beginning, you understood what you were doing. And, and, and I, I catch glimpses of it, and the more that I dig into it, I see Jesus is there. He's revealing more to our hearts. So time is a gift from God to us. As we look at the feast, we want to look at seeing Jesus in the center of them. The, the law was given, and as you're studying Moses, as you're studying, studying uh, in these next weeks, the, 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 the Mosaic law. When God gave the Torah or the law from Mount Sinai, it was, as a, it was a, a gift to the people that they might know God. And, and uh, you know, Moses, he went up on the Mount of Sinai and he encountered God and it was a fearful and it was an awesome thing. And God gave his word and he gave a whole way that Israel might know God and understand who he is. How society could be formed and lived. But it wasn't only words that were written upon stone. But Moses as a man, he encountered God like never before in the history of humanity. And we must see this as we look into understanding the the law and the feasts and, and the Torah of God. Is that it came with encounter. It's not only just the old thing and that we have a better thing now, but there was an amazing encounter. Sometimes we fall into pride in our hearts because we look back and we say, we have a, a better way. But I have not got to the place yet that Moses was living from in friendship with God. 
So much so that when the word of God, the Torah was given, that it changed Moses' physical body. I want to live in that place. I've had moments when, when I've encountered God, when I, he's revealed and spoken things to me, that there's been a glory that's come upon my life. But that's not the, what I walk in the, the, to that extreme level every day. But I'm hungry for the glory that Moses knew. I'm hungry. So when God gave the Torah and he, and he spoke about the feast and the festivals, it was his manifest presence coming with it. Moses came down the mountain and he had those those stone tablets that were written by the very finger of God, it says in scripture. But he also had the glory of God shining upon his face. He had the glory of God in his body. He had been with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He was sustained in his physical body without food or without water. Now, some of us in the fasting movements that God has been raising up in the past decade or so, you know, we've even, some have even approached 40 days. But no one has been able to live for 40 days without water. But Moses stood in the manifest, the Shekinah glory of God, came down the mountain to the nation of Israel with the law, with the commandments, with the instructions about the feast, but he didn't only carry stone tablets. He carried the glorious presence of God to the people. And so there's a glory that comes. We're not just going to just look at, you know, old ways that pointed to, to Jesus, but we're saying, God, would you reveal your glory to us again? As we live on, on this side of the cross, as we live after Yeshua, uh, Jesus came and he died and he rose again, we, we live in the fullness of that. We also want the glory that Moses had. You know, uh, there's been a, a, a renewing of understanding concerning the glory and the anointing of David. He was the greatest king of Israel and, he, and his life speaks to us today. We talk about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And often then we feel like we have to compare the glory of David to the glory of Moses. And, uh, but the, the reality of the situation is, is that David, when he was worshiping in that tent, and he was recounting, he was recounting the law of Moses. He was singing back to God. The, the longest psalm that we have that recorded is Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, over from every angle, from every facet, David is going after this. Oh, how I love your law. How I love your instruction. He talks about it as, I love the statutes of God. They are life to me. As we were driving from Spokane this morning, I was just flipping through and reading these different verses. And it was filling my heart with faith to see how David was looking to Moses' experience. How David was looking to the law that was given through Moses. It's an amazing thing. And may God, brings as he brings revelation to our heart, that we would walk in humility, that we wouldn't quick, be quick to jump to conclusions to say, oh, we have something so better. But rather, we'd see that God was building his story from the beginning into the day that we're living in. And so there's something of richness that we receive as we study the, the law of God. Even when Jesus came, he said in Matthew chapter 5, let's, let's look at it really quick. Just wanting to give us some framework before we... Look specifically at these feasts. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. 
Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one little tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The jot and tittle, it sounds very funny, but basically those are the smallest markings in the Hebrew language that were emphasis and accent marks over the letters. And he's saying even the smallest marking, the easiest thing when they were writing to mess up or to forget or to leave out, it's like dotting the I's and crossing your T's. He's saying not one aspect of the law will pass away as long as there's heaven and earth. He said, I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Now, when we think about fulfilling, sometimes we think about bringing something to an end. I fulfilled my duty. I'm finished. That's it. It's over. But the, the word in the Greek there um, speaks about more of it was the goal of the law. It's where the law was pointing was towards Jesus. And Jesus was filling it full with meaning. So if you take that word that Jesus fulfilled the law and the commandments, you can kind of turn it around and say, he filled it full with meaning by his person. He said, this that was spoken of, I am bringing the abundance of understanding in life to. Later on, when, when Jesus died and he was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus afterwards, they were in discouragement and despair. They thought this was the promised one, this, and then he's dead. And, and, they, and their hearts were downcast, their faces were downcast. And as he walked with them, talked with them, and then he sat down and had a meal with him, he broke bread. And it says that he began to reveal to them when they recognized who he was, that he was the risen Messiah. And when they recognized who he was and broke bread with them, that he began to teach them from all of the law and the prophets up till that time, who he was and how he was there. Moses spoke of Jesus. Moses spoke of the coming Messiah, of the promised one. And so right from the beginning, we see Jesus there. When we read the the Old Testament, when we read from the beginning, we have to read with the eyes of a first century understanding. You see, the, the, the apostles and the writers of the gospels and the epistles, they had an understanding. All of scripture for them was the Old Testament. That's all they had. And Paul spoke to Timothy and he said, all of scripture is profitable. All of it is good for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, and for leading a life of godliness. He wasn't speaking about the the epistles he was reading. That was being written at the time. They hadn't been distributed yet. The gospels came at a later time. But he was speaking about the law of Moses, about the, the words of the prophets, about the Psalms and the historical writings of Israel. And he's saying, there's life in them if you can see me in it. John, he understood this in John chapter 1 when he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He was taking in John 1 verse 1 and 2 and he was saying that Jesus, the word of God, was there in Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning of creation. That's how they saw. That was the filter of their lives was the promised Messiah was there at the beginning. It's, it's a whole, whole other teaching, but it's described as you go through, as you're reading through, every time you see the angel of the Lord and the way that the angel of the Lord comes, that was Jesus. That was, the, that was him being manifest before his incarnation here on earth. Was, he was born as a child in Bethlehem. And so Jesus is there in the middle and he's there in the feast together. The feast, they serve as a tutor to lead Israel to understand and to know their Savior. 
This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. He says that the feast, the law of God, was a tutor for Israel. What's a tutor? It was to give instruction. It was to show step by step to break it down. It's interesting because you think about the tone concerning time in the scriptures. Up till the death and resurrection of Jesus, it seemed like things were going, you know, revelation was coming through long periods of time. There there was something that revelation that was being built. You know, you would have God revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you would have Israel wandering through their own own things. And and then there was hundreds of years later, and the kings came. And then hundreds of years later, and exiles, and, and God raised up the prophets. And then even before the New Testament, there was 400 years where there wasn't any prophet speaking to the nation. It was like it was moving slowly. But as, as, as that revelation was coming slowly, there were building blocks that were coming in place so that through the sacrificial system that they would understand the need for a savior. They wouldn't understand how Jesus would be able as the, as the son of Adam, as the second Adam, to be able to atone for the sins of Adam as a man and fully God. And so time moved slowly. But then after the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you start to hear different language. It talks about the urgency of the hour. Know the time and season that you live in. It's, uh, Peter talks about helping to hasten the coming of the Lord. And there's an urgency that comes in the New Testament it, that completely changes at that time. And, uh, and so we're living in those times of urgency. We're living in those times with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we are required to understand the times and seasons that we live in. And, uh, and what was spread out over centuries and even thousands of years in this day and age. It's amazing. This, the century that we live in, the, the prophetic revelation that's coming, the restoration of things that were lost. It seems like every decade, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing something new to the church that's opening our eyes again to the full picture of who God is. And that's the moment that we're living in now. This is the time and season that we're living in now for our eyes to be open. God has had a plan from the beginning. We have the privilege to be born into this day and age. And so with the urgency of the hour, as we press towards the coming of Jesus again, as we press towards him establishing his rule and reign on the earth, we must know the time and season we're living in, but we must understand the building blocks that we're being prepared over centuries and thousands of years to bring us to the place that we can walk in a fuller revelation and a fuller knowledge from God. Are you with me this morning? Do you understand? I'm just trying to paint a picture here how we are connected to this revelation to the point that we live in today. God is amazing. Time is a gift from Him. The calendar is a gift because it's it's the place of remembering but it's also the place of looking forward to what he's going to do. The, if we look at Jesus in the middle of the feast, we discover his birth is found there. We discover the timing of his death. The major events in Jesus' life took place at feast times. And that's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. It was so that the people's eyes would be open, that they would remember what they had lived out. And when they see that happening, oh, the Messiah is dying on Passover, when the pure and spotless lamb had to be offered, and revelation would come to their hearts and say, this is that which was spoken of. 
This is that which we've been celebrating for millennia. This is what we've been celebrating and anticipating in our hearts. Even the resurrection of Jesus was on the Feast of First Fruits. And he rose up again as the firstborn from the dead. It's incredible as we look at uh, his life through the feast and we see the genius of God and, the, and the, just the grand scope of his design for us. Paul in Colossians, he speaks saying that there was a shadow of understanding that Israel walked in. But what to, was to come in Jesus was the substance or the reality, the greater reality. And so we won't serve ourselves well if we just study feasts and we just look back and we don't put Jesus in the picture. We'll miss out on the day and age that we're living with the revelation that we have at this time. And so as we study the feast and as, as, as a Jewish person, as a believer, I'm still part of a nation. I'm still part of a people with a, a unique calling. But as a believer in Jesus, as a son of God being born again, then it's my responsibility to live out of that place of the knowledge of my Messiah, having fulfilled that. If you come from the different ethnic backgrounds that you come to, you're welcome to receive of the riches of the the inheritance that our people carried as they held the law up in their lives throughout these centuries. It's not a burden upon you to celebrate or to observe them. It's not something that you have to do, but you can enter into the meaning of it, and it can be life and riches for you you as you discover Jesus in the feast. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And this word seasons here in the Hebrew is the word that's used for the feasts and the festivals throughout the Torah. There's, there's three main words, but this is the main one. And this, and this, uh, this word in the Hebrew is, um, is moed for season, or in the plural, moedim. And, and the meaning of this word, is a, it goes a lot more deeper than maybe what we think about season. Season just seems like, okay, it's change of weather. We, we, we you know, empty our closet from summer, and we put in our warmer things, and, and we begin to shift, and we see the leaves changing, all of that. But this is speaking about something much deeper. This feast or festival, these seasons, are actually that word moed means an appointment. But it's not just like a business appointment. What comes with it, the underlying meaning of that was God was saying, I want to set up a time to meet with you throughout the year. This is the, these are the times, these seasons that I've created, these feast days, these festival days are times when I want to encounter you. There's the opportunity that we have every day through the blood of Jesus that we have access to God. But God set up regularly throughout the year times we said, I want you to remember my works. I want to remember what, you, what I have done in your life. I want you to encounter me in a fresh way. There's a certain intimacy around this idea of moed. There's a, a certain intimacy saying, I want to have a date with you. I want to set in advance. Now, if we think about it... it my relationship with my wife, I could tell her, you know, I love you, babe. You're the best. And I could speak nice things to her. But what makes, takes it to a whole other level is when I think in advance and I prepare in advance for something special. 
You know, if only I ever saying those things, and we as husbands, we should be saying them regularly throughout the day, many times. It's good. But we should also be thinking in advance, preparing. And we should be setting appointments. We should be having dates, doing something special that's out of the ordinary. And that's what this Moed is. That's what these seasons, these feasts, God is saying, I want to know you intimately. I, I want to set up a time where I can meet with you. I can encounter you. Let's have a date. And he spoke to the nation like that. And he said, okay, I'm going to set up seven primary dates throughout the calendar of your year. I'm going to give you seven main times when you encounter me. Three of those, the whole nation should come up to Jerusalem. All the men, the heads of the houses should come up to Jerusalem on three of those and be together. And so God set up these dates, these feasts, as appointments with him to encounter him in a special way. Now, there's two other words that as they speak even deeper of how we're to celebrate or how we're to observe the feast. And in English, we just have feasts of the Lord or festivals in our translations. But in Hebrew, it's also another word is hag. And hag comes from the verb to dance. It, meaning this is an occasion of joy and celebration. This is a time to have a party with God. This is something to anticipate and to get excited about. I, this season for, for us is we're about to enter in to the fall feasts. And uh, the, the, these are coming up next week. Um, we, we have uh, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. And then following that, we have the Day of Atonement and then the Feast of Tabernacles. This is called, in Hebrew, all of this fall feast season is called the season of our rejoicing. That's how we refer to all three of those feasts together. It's a season for celebration, and this is what's on offer from God. Now, if you think hug is good, speaking about dancing and celebrating, there's the, the next one is Hagag. And Hagag means rejoicing, celebrating a, a special day, or dancing with wild and unrestrained actions. It's the kind of dancing that when the army would come back from battle, they would have a throwdown party. They would come back after, after having experienced victory. And, these, and maybe we don't, we don't know it in our culture today. But in the ancient times, ancient cultures, everything was an excuse for a party. Everything was, a, was a, an opportunity to get together and to rejoice. And, and I mean, to me, that speaks, of, as I'm not thinking about, oh, the burden of, of a day that I have to meet with God or another thing on the calendar. No, we get to encounter God with unrestrained hearts to live a life of celebration and joy. Unrestrained actions. I mean, that, that's pretty awesome. Here, let me, let me demonstrate for you. Spinning around. I mean, jumping up and down, throwing the arms out, throwing the legs out. That's the kind of thing. Going nuts, going crazy. These are the words that are used. And so we read, these are the festivals of the Lord that you are to observe for all of your generations. They shall be a perpetual and continual covenant before me. But when we don't understand the text and the verbs that are used, what he's saying is, these are the days when you go crazy before me, when I want to encounter you, when I want you to jump up and down. I want you to spin around with unrestrained action. I want you to let loose as you meet with me. That's the God, the living God wanted to encounter his people. Come on, you guys like a party? Come 
everyone. I mean, I mean, and if you don't, we we could pray for that after communion. Because that there's something inside us. We gotta return back to that childlike faith and wonderment at who God is. He is amazing, and what He gives us is gifts. What He gives us is for our good. It's to come back to Him like children before a good father and say, Thank you for what you've done for me. So the feasts were times of remembrance to look back at the major points in history. You talked about Passover yesterday, uh, last Sunday, and uh, the Exodus. And this was a time of amazing deliverance. God put on display His glory and the nations heard about it. The nations heard about it. The testimony went out in the story of the Exodus. You know when the Israelites were coming through the wilderness and they went into the promised land and the different tribes and the different nations that they encountered that they had to war against? They said, uh-oh, those are those people that their God led them out who humiliated the gods of Egypt. Egypt was the, was the superpower at that time. Egypt was the greatest civilization. And here is this, this rat-tat band of tribes coming through the wilderness and they come Coming into the promised land, 40 years later, the testimony of God's mighty acts was still ringing true. It was still ringing out. It put fear into the hearts of people. We better figure out what we're going to do as we interact with these people. This is what's on offer from God for us. Seasons of rejoice, rejoicing, seasons of celebration before him. Lest we think that it's only for Israel... Because it's often referred to as the Feast of Israel, because Israel the ones that have been celebrating them for thousands of years. In the text, it actually says they're the Feast of the Lord. They're referred to as the Feast of the Lord. Somehow, we end up calling them the Feast of Israel, but the Bible says that they're the Feast of the Lord. They belong to Him. They point to Him. They reveal him. It's about him coming to encounter the people. It's about him being glorified in the midst of a nation. They are his feast. If you belong to the Lord, you can have an inheritance in them. If you belong to him, if you name the name of the Lord, there's something of richness for you. The richness of God. They are not just the feast of Israel. They are the feast of Of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the God of all the earth. King of kings, Lord of lords, they belong to him. His appointments, we get to join in to the inheritance of a nation. We get to join into the celebration by experiencing the heart of God as these feasts are celebrated. Thank you, Lord. I'm getting excited here. So there's seven feasts. There's actually a couple more that are mentioned in the scripture, but these are the seven that are given to Israel and called the Feast of the Lord. There's some others that Jesus observed. Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, is mentioned. There's also the Feast of the Story of Esther and the Deliverance of uh, called Purim. They're also spoken of in the scripture, but for the sake of trying to fit everything in. We're just going to touch the seven today. The first one, or the first group, let's say, are the feasts that come in the spring of the year. Now, the the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar, and it's got different names of months, different lengths. It's different from the Gregorian calendar that we use today. Um, And so we're not going to get into all that, so I'll just talk about spring and fall, and that's something we can relate to. 
Um, but so the first of the feasts is Passover. And this is the story of the Exodus. In the Passover, there is the revelation of the need for the shedding of blood by a pure and spotless lamb for covering from death, to be, to be saved from the angel of death. And that was the story of the Exodus as God led the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, the land of their oppressors. And it's the story that we find ourselves in as he's brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. When we say, you know, good Christian terminology about the shed blood of the lamb and the pure and spotless lamb and all, if we don't understand the story that this comes from, we're pretty weird. I mean, people that come in off the street that have never been, had any background in Christianese and and in this kind of lingo that we have, and we say, oh, you need the blood of the lamb on you. You know, that wash is whiter than, you know, and and, and we use this kind of language and that's, that's plainly, that's just freaky. If we don't know the story, if we don't know what's built up to that, but the feast were to preserve the story of God. And in Passover, the story that was preserved was that God delivered Egypt. I mean, he delivered Israel out of Egypt and by them putting blood on the doorposts of their house. Now imagine as the fathers would go and they would dip, they, they, they were to take hyssop and they were to dip it in the bowl of blood and they were to put it on the lentils. The lentils of the house, it would have been door post made of wood right and uh, they would they would make this motion here dipping it on the doorpost and then this motion here and there's this picture right there at the time of passover with blood being uh, spread put over the house the entrance place of the house of seeing the cross and seeing the work of the cross even back thousands of thousands of years but what would happen was as they retained that feast as they celebrated it year after year after year when it came to the point of the cross and the holy spirit brought revelation the people would look back and they go whoa we were carrying something all along but we didn't know what we were carrying this Death on the cross of the perfect Lamb of God at the time of Passover when that animal should be slaughtered in the temple. Jesus was being executed upon the cross as a perfect atonement for all of the sin of mankind. They began to connect the pieces together. Then it's not so weird. Then it's not so weird when we know the story and said, okay, this is what that represents. This was symbolic. This is the shadow. But the reality is Jesus' death. Upon the cross. And so from Passover, there, Passover is one night and it's celebrated with a feast. And if you haven't ever had the opportunity, it's a great way to be introduced to the feast is to go through a Passover meal. There's lots of meaning in the retelling of the story of Passover, of the, the story of redemption out of Egypt. And it really speaks and comes alive for us. I know that Maya and the team have been hosting some in Spokane uh, the last few years. And maybe there will be an opportunity for some of you to connect next Passover. Put a little plug in for you, Maya. <laughs> and uh, and then, so the next feast in the spring there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what happened was the Israelites, you know, they had to leave in haste from Egypt. So there wasn't time for the bread to rise. And so for seven days, they were, the Israelites after that, they were commanded every year to not put yeast in your bread. 
but to eat unleavened bread, flat bread, dry bread. Now, it was to be a remembrance every time they ate it of what God did in that story. Let me tell you something. Unleavened bread is not particularly pleasant. Unleavened bread is not nearly as good as yeasty bread. But it makes us think. As we celebrate the feast and we do these actions, they are remembrances, they are reminders. They keep the story alive and passed down generation to generation. The celebration of them would be equivalent to a multimedia show. Gather together. You're to have a meal together and remember and retell the story. And you eat this unleavened bread. And when you eat it, Mom, why are we eating this bread tonight? We like the challah. We like, we like the, the, the fluffy, good bread. Why are we eating this one tonight? Well, son, let me tell you. And they tell the story. And it gets passed down generation to generation. In, in the... At the Feast of Unleavened Bread was when uh, Jesus was buried. He, he died on Passover the next day. It, then it was his, his burial. And, and the, this is a feast that celebrated for seven days. Following that, at the end, is the Feast of First Fruits. The last of the, sp- oh, well, the first fruits. And this was the time of his resurrection. We don't have time to go into uh, taking it through the accounts and the Gospels and matching them up to the days in the Jewish calendar, how it works. But it's a very interesting thing to do and to begin to see how he completely fulfilled or filled full with meaning through his own death and res- burial and resurrection, the, the fuller meaning of Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. When, um, when Jesus uh, rose again... As a first fruit offering at his, his resurrection, the, the, the um, writers in the New Testament, they love to refer to this. And, and we read it and sometimes, and these are the statements that they made. I'll just read some of them. We won't look them up at the moment. Jesus is the firstborn of Mary, Matthew said. Hebrews, Jesus is the firstborn of God the Father. Colossians, he's the firstborn of every creature. Revelation, he's the firstborn from the dead. Romans, he's the firstborn of many brethren. 1 Corinthians, he's the first fruits of the resurrected ones. Colossians, he is the preeminent or the one that comes first above all others. They love to make the connection. We read those and we think, okay, that's theology. But it's more than just theology. They were connecting Jesus into the fulfillment of the story that came from thousands and thousands of years of living out and remembering before the Lord. And so that's, um, and, okay, and then the next one is the Feast of Weeks. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, um, meaning seven, and uh, seven weeks. And uh, in uh, Greek, Pentecost, that, you might know that, be familiar with Pentecost, uh, meaning 50 days. And after Jesus rose again, he told him to go to Jerusalem and to wait, and he was going to pour his Holy Spirit out. Now, and to tarry there in Jerusalem, that wasn't something that was odd to the disciples, it's because from the time of Passover, they had a tradition of counting off 50 days. And it was the counting of the Omer. And they would take some, a, a, a piece of grain and they would put one for each day and they would count it off. And it built expectation in their heart for this, uh, this uh, feast uh, called the Feast of Weeks. This was how God chose to create 
anticipation and expectation in their hearts for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It made sense when he said, go to Jerusalem and wait there because you're going to receive power from on high. So when they gathered and they were praying in the upper room, it wasn't something that was out of the ordinary. They would be doing that the night before the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. The tradition was that they would stay up throughout the night reading the scriptures and praying with anticipation in their hearts. They were there. You know what some of the scriptures that were traditional read at that time? Joel chapter 2. That was tradition. Upon the young and the old, my mates, I will pour out my spirit, the release of prophecy. And that's what happened on Shavuot. That's what happened on the Feast of Weeks, is that it made sense. They understood completely. That's how Peter was able to, to go from the place of, you know, having denied the Lord. And it all began to fall into place. And he saw, oh, my God, this is what you've been, we've been looking forward to all this time. He comes out of that room after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach to the people that are gathered together in Jerusalem and he says this is that which was prophesied this is that which the prophet spoke of this is that that the Torah the the, the law of God was pointing to it's happening now this is the day that we are living in and so Shavuot the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that, 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 that's the first four are the spring feasts. And they have been fulfilled already in the, in the coming of Jesus to the earth. We see the fulfillment of the spring feasts. They're fulfilled, um, uh, first of all, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and the outpouring of his spirit upon the earth. That's, a good, that's the good news. So we look back in remembrance and the testimony in the spring. Now the fall feasts, the next set of three, are, have yet to be fulfill, fulfilled completely. They are yet to, to see that, and they are to do the fulfillment comes in the age to come. And these three feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, which is Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Uh, of this week just so happens that you guys are in this part of the story and and uh, you're finding yourself right in the middle of a season of rejoicing in the feast of the Lord feast of trumpets the second one is the day of atonement and the third one is the feast of tabernacles and so this is the season that we are in right now as we're in the season of Rejoicing, the fall feast. These are the ones that are yet to be fulfilled. I love to be able to look back in the spring feast and to see what God did. To, to be able to see how it all fits together. The fall feasts create expectation in our hearts for something that we've yet to see in fullness. You know, the, they think about the, the, in the middle of Jesus fulfilling these things, the disciples are just, I mean, they must have been blowing circuits. They, they were just, they were like, this is incredible. Guess what? Concerning the fall feast, we are living in a similar time. We are on the verge of seeing the fulfillment of the fall feast. To be able to see the, the, the outcome. We have a privilege to be born in the day that we're born into. Let us not miss the day of our visitation. Let us not miss the time and the season that we are living in. But let's pray. God, would you illuminate the eyes of my understanding to see what you're doing? Would you illuminate my, my, my understanding to see what you are about to do, what's on the verge, what we're on the cusp of, right standing at the precipice of. We need to be a people that are prepared by God to understand the time and the season that we're in. So the first, okay, there's a progression in these fall feasts. Let's, uh, let's break it down like this. 
Feast of Trumpets was simply, this is what they were to observe. There wasn't a story behind. All the other uh, feasts, you know, they were linked to something in the, the story of God. But, he, but the Feast of Trumpets was, this is how they were to observe it. On this day, I want you to blow trumpets. Okay. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, for thousands of years, our people have been blowing trumpets. We've been blowing the shofar, you know, the ram's horn. And okay, God. But there are scriptures that speak of the meaning. What will happen? The Lord went up to heaven with the shout and with the sound of a trumpet. He's coming back with the sound of the trumpet. There's a prophetic sound that goes forth. You know, when sound waves are released, they keep going. We don't hear them anymore, but they, they go out throughout time. And they go out through, throughout space. And it's like there has been a prophetic foretelling for thousands of years of the coming of the Lord. When In simple obedience, not even having the full revelation, the people of Israel have been blowing trumpets. It's been a call. It's been a prophetic foretelling. Jesus is coming again. The Messiah is coming again. There's an announcing of his coming. And we have that call upon our lives in our generation to be those that announce the soon return of the Lord. To be those that our lives are a trumpet blast and a call. People, get ready. Jesus is coming again. He's coming in glory. He's coming in power. He's coming in beauty. He's coming not as the suffering servant that he was the first time he came. He's coming as conquering king. We better have our hearts prepared for the day. The scriptures say every knee will bow. Will it bow out of worship? Will it bow under submission as the weight of God's glory and revelation of who it is presses down upon the earth? And so the Feast of Trumpets is coming this Wednesday. Is a prophetic foretelling of the second coming of the Lord. I want to tell you a a story. We were were living on the East Coast uh, um, about 12 or 13 years ago. And there was an outpouring in a church in Baltimore that we were very connected to. And the worship leader was in a recording studio... And, and they thought, you know, this would be cool. At the beginning of uh, the album, we're going to blow uh, a shofar. And they're in an isolated room, right? You know, that's how studios are made. So the, the sound doesn't go out and sound doesn't come in to get on the recording. And this guy, the worship leader, blew the shofar with this blast. Down the hall in another studio was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. The blast of the shofar was so loud that went out... When that sound came, this rabbi comes running out of his studio, runs down, opens the door, and falls on his knees in front of this worship leader. And he goes, what were you doing? What was that? And the worship leader just looked at him. He was shocked, and he said, actually, he has a Jewish background too, Jewish believer. He said, we are worshiping God. He said, and we felt to blow a trumpet. He said, well, what does that mean to you? Why would you blow a trumpet at the beginning? He said, the sound of the trumpet is to call the people of God together. It's to make them awake and alert. It's to prepare their hearts to encounter God. And that rabbi, there on his knees in front of this worship leader said, that's the same reason that we blow it every year. 
God spoke. There was a sound. I don't even know if it was physically possible for the actual audible sound of that shofar to go out one isolated studio down the hall into another and grab a hold of this rabbi's heart. Maybe it was what was prophetically being released as as a believer, as a worship leader, released a sound that tugged on an unbelieving Jew's heart and that he was able to see something deeper that and he was pulled in. Maybe it's going to be that our coming king with that sound when it's the time of his coming that that shout is there's going to be like a magnetic pull as he comes to earth that every eye will see every every ear will hear that he he comes down that we come up to meet him that we'll be gathered together with him at the sound of a trumpet so there's something prophetic about it that we don't even know the full meaning of but man it delights my heart it sets my heart ready in expectation for the coming of the lord Come, Lord Jesus, come. Feast of Trumpets. So when when it's bone, it's to call the people into a place of preparing their hearts for this fall season. And um, it's to prepare their hearts. So Jewish people, after the blowing of the trumpet, they go into a time of soul searching before the Day of Atonement to repent of their sins, to make things right, and so that they come before God as a nation to be atoned of their sin. Now, we know that Jesus already made the way through his blood, through his death and resurrection on the cross, that we have that atonement of our sins and that we have access to God. Um, but it, it speaks of a call to repentance. The progression in the fall feast is from Feast of Trumpets, a call to preparing our hearts. Get ready. God is coming. Turn your heart to the Lord, to the Day of Atonement, that there is redemption. There's redemption through Jesus. So we have repentance, we have redemption. And then in the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the time to rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. This is the progression. Repentance, redemption, rejoicing. Maybe God will speak to you out of that in this season. Repentance, allowing the Holy Spirit to highlight things that He wants to sort out in your life knowing that he's already made the way for us to be restored to right relationship with God, that we can come before him boldly and then rejoicing in the knowledge of the work that he's already done. But also we can stand in intercession for the lost, for those that yet to know him, for the people of Israel who are observing these things in ignorance, not seeing their Messiah in the middle of it, and say as an intercessory people, Lord, bring repentance, bring redemption, and bring rejoicing in, in these fall feasts. I think for the sake of time, this is given an overview of it. We have the, uh, the four feasts in the spring and then the three feasts in the fall of the year. And out of these, we can see. Um, oh, okay, maybe just to finish off. Feast of Trumpets, the return of the Lord. It looks forward to his return. Then we have um, Yom Kippur. This is the day when God comes and his covering, his glory comes and covers the whole earth. He sets things in order. He places his kingdom in order over the earth. The whole earth is covered with the glory of God. And that's the day of atonement. And then Sukkot is the rejoicing. This is the wedding feast. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. This is the the time of rejoicing that we will enter into into that we look forward to that our hearts crave for when everything is in order when everything's made right this is the hope that we live in and the way that our hearts are orientated for the future so we we see that progression from repentance 
redemption and rejoicing in the fall feast of the year. There's something on offer from the Lord to us. I hope that in just touching on these points, that it could provoke you to look a little bit deeper and to ask the Lord, would you reveal Jesus to me? Would you show me the amazing heritage that I've been grafted into and that you've had a plan from the beginning to the end of time? You have been working your will and you will perform everything that you plan to do. I just want to be in line with that. I want to flow with where you're flowing in the course of human history and to see you get all the glory at the end of the age. There's riches to, to mine out, to dig out. It's not, all of it's not there because it's not something that we've necessarily grown up observing. But as we, as we go to the word with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can ask him to illuminate it, to bring it to life. And that releases something very special as a treasure and a gift from God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given times and seasons for us. You've given us places of encounter with you. We thank you, Jesus, that your work that we see in the feast, in your first coming, that you came to earth as a man who knew no sin, that you died as a perfect sacrifice, that you rose again, and that you spoke meaning, Lord God, into those feasts. Lord, that we remember them. We remember the Passover as we take of communion and as we receive communion today. We pray, Lord God, that revelation would come. When Jesus broke bread with his disciples, it says that revelation came and they understood. Hey, my, why don't you come up and help to serve the communion? I want to just say that I know we've hit kind of a, a broad and a lot of things and maybe there's some gaps that need to be filled in. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and to seal in our hearts as we celebrate communion this morning. Let's ask him to do a work in the breaking of the bread, in the drinking of the cup, to seal in our hearts and to create a greater spiritual hunger to know more of God's plan.